0: Rocking the Academy is a podcast that's changing the future of higher education. Your hosts, Mary Churchill and Rupika Rism, bring you conversations with the very best truth-tellers who are formulating a different vision of the university. Do they rock the boat? Yes. But in doing so, they rock the Academy.
1: On this episode of Rocking the Academy, we are joined by Lee Scalera-Bissett, Learning Design Specialist at the Center for New Designs in Learning and Scholarship at Georgetown University. Lee's wide-ranging career includes being a tenure-track faculty member at Florida A&M University, contingent faculty at Moorhead State University, and working in faculty development at University of Kentucky and University of Mary Washington. She was also a longtime blogger for Inside Higher Ed. Hi, Lee. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. We're really happy to be chatting with you. Uh, And so when Mary and I were thinking about who's rocking the academy, your name immediately came to mind for us. So fittingly, my first question has to do with the way we all met, which is social media. How has social media shaped your trajectory and your career in higher education?
2: Well, I, I, I always say that there is no reason... Uh, for me to be where I am, if it weren't for Twitter and social media, I mean, I five years ago. I was a contingent faculty member at a rural, regional, comprehensive university, right? Like you don't go from Moorhead State University, no no, no shade on Moorhead State, like uh, but you don't go from Moorhead State University in a contingent faculty role to Georgetown University. Like that is not a narrative that happens in higher education. You don't make those kinds of institutional prestige jumps. And I was able to do it, you know, because of Twitter and my blogging and social media and the networks that I developed and the reputation I developed. University of Venus, Mary, as you well know, was one of my first launching posts to a wider public and I found the call because I followed Mary on Twitter. And then getting the, when University of Venus moved to Inside Higher Education, that even widened the platform even more. And it was Mary's encouragement for me to take my little blogger blog and pitch it to Inside Higher Education, which they took. And that led to opportunities to speak at conferences, led to me being invited to contribute chapters. It led to me discovering that there was a thing called faculty development and a thing called all that work, and, and just to be able to build that, to be able to build that network and to 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 be able to build my reputation outside of the narrow confines of contingent faculty at Moorhead State University, woman, wife, mother, who gave up a tenure track position, you know, so I was able to sort of break through those, that that very simplistic narrative about my career through social media and blogging and through the network that I developed there.
1: I think we have that in commonly in the sense that Twitter changed the possibilities for our Our careers for me, working at a regional comprehensive university, it's not exactly a place that necessarily has well, in the sort of traditional prestige metrics of the university, you know, people look at our our affiliations on our name badges and then don't talk to us at conferences.
2: And, and we know how the prestige system works on for, for better, for worse in higher education. I mean, I had it happen at conferences where people would come up to me and look at me, look at my name tag, and then like make a beeline in the opposite direction. I, you know, I caught flack for it even when I was writing it inside higher ed. Um, not from the editors at Inside Higher Ed, but from, you know, from readers, from people who, was, who were just like, why is she writing for Inside Higher Ed? Who is she? You know, to to which I replied, I'm no one, but we're pretty much the majority
0: of people working in higher education right now. I feel like there are lots of haters of social media and of course on social media, but I think of other faculty in departments or other staff and administrators at institutions who really look down on Twitter or are poo-poo it or think of blogging as a waste of time. And so how have either of you kind of push back on that?
1: So I, when I, I first got on Twitter as a graduate student because I just didn't feel like I had enough of a community in person. And so after I, I got on Twitter and I realized it was really fascinating because I could talk to other graduate students. I could talk, I talk to senior scholars and they would interact. So I was asked at the new student orientation that year, this is probably fall of 2009, to give advice to new graduate students. And so a piece of advice I gave them was get on Twitter. And immediately, the director of graduate studies said, "Oh my goodness, don't waste your time with that." But I mean, there are downsides too, right? I mean, there's there are trolls, and I think I think it's
2: really interesting that there it, there is that downside, and I think that there does you know there there does seriously have to be discussion because ten years ago or almost ten years ago when we got on Twitter, it was a much different space than it is now. And I do with a word of caution now when I'm advising people on Twitter, and you know, they I tell people that they should take stock of what they are are you know how much of themselves they want to put out there um, it's this ability to to form a different kind of community to rethink how we do scholarship to rethink how we communicate that scholarship and maybe for individuals it's not Twitter and maybe for individuals it isn't a blog but but again to, to have that openness and to be able to introduce those kinds of things where that hate you know the haters some of it is is rational the other part of it is I try to see it and, and understand it is coming from a place of fear and that kind of change and that kind of disruption is is scary. And so the easiest way to kind of to handle it is to just dismiss it and to belittle it. And how do we find that thing that allows for faculty an entryway, a path into it that allows them to start seeing it as beneficial rather than scary and toxic?
0: What I hear you both saying is, especially Rupsey, I think in the beginning, this is the faculty role can be very isolated or isolating right and and you often feel alone in a department particularly if you're not at the center of the department and can influence your behavior perhaps in ways that you don't want it to. But I think Twitter and online social media in general creates another space where you don't have to make the compromises you do if you're stuck only in a department with your colleagues. I was struck by something you said earlier around Inside Higher Ed, writing for Inside Higher Ed, and it's true you know i think people are like why do you think you get to write there and your answer was really like because i bitched it (laughs) you know i mean it's and so there's this not necessarily a fear right or or you you take risks or you think there's a tomorrow that's going to be better than today and and i think there's that's a resiliency you know how do you now in kind of faculty development roles and as a mentor to folks how do you help people adopt that attitude?
2: I think one of the things, one of the biggest things for me is trust. You have to build a trust with people and like say, till I'm blue in the face that, you know, and and I don't actually like doing it. I don't like holding my story up as a success story and being like, and you could do it too. Because, you know, there is a, there was an incredible amount of privilege behind that as well. And so it's also been for me uh, a reconfiguring of what I consider success to be. For a long time, it was unlearning that I was a failure because I I never got tenure. You know, those are still powerful factors within the academy, even on the all tech track that, 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 of how we dis- d- define success or failure. So it, it's negotiating and navigating those things and really setting it's like, well, what are, what are what is it exactly that I want in terms of my priorities and in terms of my personal values? What is it that's holding me back? And then how do I, how does, how does one Uh, maneuver their way around those things and and get them to come together in a way that makes sense, that is doable, that is believable.
0: When I think of this rocking the boat and the academy and you, I think of, and and maybe you've played a larger or smaller role in this than I'm aware, but um, the really the role of getting contingent faculty and contingent faculty issues to be on the official agenda of the MLA meetings and the MLA platform.
2: Yeah, and and I think, and and again, it was one of those situations where I, I sort of stumbled into it again, right? I started writing about contingent faculty and issues, blissfully ignorant, tragically ignorant of the work that had been done and was being done for contingent faculty. And I, you know, I, I have to say that if you want somebody who really rocked the boat and who did rock the boat, you should have Maria Maisto. She started the new faculty majority. She worked tirelessly behind the scenes at the MLA for a lot of years, both before I was on the scene and then also afterward. We're all indebted to the legacy that she and many others who were involved in the new faculty majority and even those adjunct advocates before that. I just came in at a really good time and I had a platform and I was willing to use it and and that's the work that I have found that I'm really good at in a lot of ways is amplifying and I want to use that to for to the best possible purposes which is to amplify and I was able to amplify issues of contingency.
0: Switching gears, what do you see as the biggest challenge for universities?
2: Public funding. I've always. This is the first time I've ever worked now at a private institution. All the institutions I've ever worked at, and coming from Canada as well, have always been publicly funded institutions. So that challenge of the tuition-driven public institution model of trying to best educate the students that we serve in our in our service regions, it, it under austerity, right? And just trying to figure out, like, how do we reimagine? I mean, it's it's really about at this point reimagining the system in a way that that we can make higher education sustainable again for um, for our populations and not just the elite, that they grow as people, as professionals, and, and they do get jobs, don't get me wrong, but that that it is an
1: enriching experience. It's an
2: enriching four years.
1: Where do you see innovation happening? Or what gives you hope that we might be able to have a different future for higher ed?
2: Stubborn hope, because I just really would like my kids to have a good experience in higher education. <laughs> I I mean you see pockets of it right and you see it happening in individual classrooms and you see it happening with colleagues and the people that I've connected with on Twitter and I can't believe that with all of us who are on Twitter who care about these issues who are making decisions every small decisions every single day in our classrooms and outside of our classrooms and how we speak and how we interact and how we treat our students and how we treat each other. That's what really gives me hope, right? Is Are the individuals within this system who are working tirelessly and thanklessly at, at making those things that they can make better, better every single day and connecting with one another and becoming colleagues to one another. and And in the hopes that people, and, and we start seeing it. I mean, it's been a decade. And so we're starting to see the people who were grad students or early career when we were first on Twitter and getting to know one another who are now tenured and moving into leadership positions. And that's really heartening to see because I know that they're going to carry a lot of that stuff that we've all talked about and learned about over the past decade through social media and our own educations, but I think reinforced through social media. They're going to take those into those positions. And so you see something like the Graduate Center and the work that some like Kathy Davidson is doing, conferences about rethinking graduate degrees, thinking institutions reinventing themselves and, and thinking, carefully about reaching students and helping students succeed beyond apps and nudges the innovation is going to be thinking about the whole student and the whole experience and those connections and because we know the research shows us that we know students persist when they make connections with people on campus right not apps not interfaces not kiosks but people but at the end of the day it's the person sitting across from you or the one person sitting on the other side of the computer screen in terms of online learning, we start focusing on people, then that forces us to rethink, again, the entire system of rewards, the entire system that it's built up
1: on. You have been listening to Rocking the Academy, where Mary Churchill and Rubika Rism bring you conversations with the very best truth-tellers who are formulating a different vision of the university. Catch more episodes at simplecast.com.